what role does technology really play in the business that we're in? And fundamentally, the business that we're in is about relationships. She loved what she was seeing so much that we were able to capture the rest of her assets. We manage all of her money. It's, it's all because we were able to use some of the tools we have in our technology bucket. Allowing the technology to push things at you that you don't necessarily need to remember or, or conjure up when you're having a discussion with somebody, it allows the advisor the mental bandwidth to be more engaged when they're asking questions, to listen more intently. It's about a very seamless integration of everything coming together between the human element, the processes, and the technology to achieve that differentiated experience. Amazon doesn't really know me, right? I go in there and what they know is my behaviors. They don't know what I'm about. And that's because they don't have the human dimension. And that's not what they're set up necessarily to do. Our business is. And so I think when we talk about exceeding client expectations, it's how we marry those worlds together that makes this so powerful. The robo-advisor knows what they invest in, but it doesn't know them. Advisors are almost expecting disruption because they're seeing that there's value in it. And, and sometimes the value is almost instantaneous. Those that understand how to utilize data and how to make it part of their business will be the leaders in the wealth management space. So we've gone from being able to open a new account in over an hour or days or even weeks, depending on when you could get with a client for a signature, to doing it in 10 or 15 minutes. Their focus and their priority is servicing their members. That's where they need to spend their energy, not building and developing technology. We fundamentally believe that technology is a competitive advantage. So if a bank had the same belief, then go and build it yourself, but understand the commitment and the effort that's involved in that. We have hundreds of developers. You have to be up for a very long-term commitment of doing this because it's, it's never ending, right? There's always enhancements, there's always an evolution, there's always more things, so you just have to make sure you're committed to it. There are more smart devices on the face of the earth than there are people, right? And, and that rate of change in my mind is really the best example of, of what we've gone through in the last decade plus. And so utilizing technology allows us to increase our volume tenfold without increasing the stress and the level of effort that it takes to do that. What is an advisor's value proposition? If your value proposition is simply centered on creating an asset allocation, that's commoditized, right, at the most basic level, because I can do that for free. The technology is going to continue to improve, but the one thing the technology I think will always lack is that emotional connection and the intuition that comes from other human beings. Hello and welcome to the Stathis Mattel Untangling FinTech podcast series. I am Bob Mattel, the co-producer of these podcasts. Our focus in this series is to provide you with an understanding of the myriad of technological offerings in our channel and awareness of the competitive impact of evolving technology and knowledge that enables you to make confident strategic technology decisions. In this episode titled The Tech Human Balancing Act, we will discuss the relative role of technology in the development of client relationships and trust. We will also cover subjects such as exceeding client expectations, data mining to identify the next best action, enhancing the advisor's value proposition, and the future of technology in our channel. 
Our four guests will not only discuss their present-day perspectives, but also draw on their experiences while with companies including Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Zions Bank, Fidelity, and New York Life. This episode is made possible by the support of Atria Wealth Solutions, a wonderful group of professionals who we've had the pleasure of working with since 2017. And now I'll turn it over to our host, Scott Stathis of Stathis Partners. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Stathis Patel Untangling FinTech podcast series. I'm Scott Stathis, the managing partner of Stathis Partners. Today's episode will focus not only on how technology has taken a dominant role in our industry, but also on the question of where this relentless march of technology is taking us. Most importantly, however, we will discuss the fact that even the best technology won't make a difference if you don't get all the other stuff right, the stuff that technology is meant to support. So in short, technology is only as effective from a business enhancement standpoint as the corporate culture it's built on. Today's episode is a group discussion with four subject matter experts who each have very impressive backgrounds in both the creation of advisor and client technology platforms, but also the best practices oriented use of these tools. So I will let each of them introduce themselves now. And um, why don't we start with Eugene? Thanks, Scott. Hi, my name is Eugene Elias. I am the CEO and founding partner of Atria Wealth Solutions. Prior to joining Atria, I spent the vast majority of my career at Morgan Stanley in a number of different jobs, both domestically and internationally, really focusing in on uh, platforms um, more from a business perspective. Um, how do we deliver uh, services, solutions, uh, products uh, to our advisors to really enhance, grow the relationships between uh, them and, and their clients? Uh, in 2016, I left Morgan Stanley uh, to, to start Atria. Uh, so obviously been with Atria since, since then um, and developing and, and growing our business. Great. Thanks, Eugene. And we're glad to have you today. Brian? Uh, I'm Brian Beekler. Uh, I am the managing director responsible for the platform experience uh, here at Atria. My background has really been at the crossroads between uh, technology and finance, uh, putting together platforms that attract and retain financial advisors and their clients. Um, I've had the, the privilege in the 20 plus years that I've been doing this to sort of see what really works, right? That, that keeps people interested in doing business with, with organizations versus what are the cautionary tales, uh, the things to avoid when it comes to build out and the adoption of these capabilities. Great. Looking forward to hearing your perspectives, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan Tingey. I am a regional program manager at uh, CFS and I've been in the industry about 20 years, primarily um, majority of the time was with Wells Fargo in multiple roles from wealth management, private banking, um, just overall retail management as well. So lots of mixed uh, roles in the past, but um, currently it's more focused on strategy and developing what a credit union per se can work better, especially using technology, working with the advisors, implementing those two things together. So that's kind of my background. So the perspective that uh, that you'll give us is from a program management standpoint, I assume, right, Ryan? Correct. That's the idea. All right. And Brandon? Yeah. Uh, Brandon Hand, a currently advisor development manager with QSO Financial here at America First Credit Union. Been in the industry about 19 years. Um, I got my start in the insurance side of the business. I spent the first 10 years of my career working with a New York Life Insurance Company, five years as an agent and five years as a manager running a sales office. Um, 
I left New York Life in 2011, spent four years as a producing manager for a group called Allegis Financial Partners. And then in 2015, I met Ryan and he told me the story about QSO Financial, the partnership with credit unions and how they work with clients and credit unions. And um, the rest is history. I was with QSO Financial first as a advisor from 2015 until last year and then took the opportunity to become the advisor development manager here at this credit union program last year. So I do still produce. I have a small book of business. Um, also spend the bulk of my time working with our team of advisors here at the credit union, uh, just learning about best practices, how to integrate technology into their daily lives with themselves and their clients. And I use it as well every day, both as a manager and also as a producing advisor myself. So you'll give us the boots on the ground perspective. So why don't we, why don't we dive into the discussion? I want to start with asking you guys a big picture question, um, and then we'll, we'll get into some specifics. So, so the big picture question is that um, you know, technology has obviously become critical with everything we do in, in the financial services industry now. So what role do you see it playing in our industry today and then in the, in the future as that, as that role evolves? Just to put technology in perspective. Eugene, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Um, at, it's really, I mean, obviously it covers every aspect of everything we do, right? So whether you're rebalancing a portfolio, you're collecting notes, um, you're handling service support, you know, technology is an underlining factor that crosses everything. Um, but from our perspective, kind of taking a step back is what role does technology really play in the business that we're in? And fundamentally, the business that we're in is about relationships. It's about how advisors, institutions connect with their clients and connect in a meaningful way, not just kind of pushing product, not just simply pushing different you know, services, but more importantly is that understanding where the client is, where they are in their lives, what they're doing, um, what their pain points are, what the problems they're having, and ultimately kind of almost a, in, a, in, a, in a therapeutic role to some extent is understanding what their situation is. So with that kind of framework in mind and, and, and the lens that we view technology through, our business through, how do we develop, design, implement, implement technology that's really supporting the relationship? How are we helping enhance, develop, enrich that relationship between the advisor, the institution, and their clients? And it comes in a variety of different factors, but always as we think about it and the kind of the lens that we view that is, is that is it, is it helping? Is it servicing? And, and, and technology, let's be clear too, is one aspect of it. Right? There's a whole bunch of other aspects that go into it, and it's really how you bring all those together to provide kind of the right solutions um, for, for, for the client and, and really for, for the family, right? for the extended view that you're dealing with. So the criticality of, of the technology is how do you actually support it? How do you support the diversity of products that you're delivering to your clients and your the kind of extended uh, relationships of those clients? Um, so those could be simple, you know, let's use like a robo type solution all the way up to um, planning and, and taking care of elderly parents, but you need to have the platform to bring that all together. But again, the technology is used to figure out what the solutions are and the experience that you're trying to create with their clients. 
How do you stay in touch with clients, making sure that you're aware of what's going on in their lives and, and knowing what, you know, when they want to be contacted and how they want to be contacted. So there's various forms of communication that can be done. And sometimes it's obviously face-to-face. -face. Other times it might be a text. But again, seeing how technology is going to be a tool that you use in order to keep the relationship, stay connected with the client, deliver the services that you're providing. And that's really kind of the philosophy and that the fundamental level of what we do and how we do it is that's how we're, we're building, designing, and implementing always back to how does this really kind of support and enrich the relationships that an advisor or an institution might have with, with their clients. And that's the path. It's not the shiny object that we're after. It's not gravitation. Oh, everybody's doing this, so let's use that. We're always taking a step backwards and saying, how, how does this really help? How does this support the overall uh, theme and the overall um, uh, strategy of, of the relationship? So, so Eugene, let me ask you a, a, a follow-on question because in a, in a previous discussion, uh, I noticed you have a very unique perspective uh, on technology. So you're somebody that's steeped in technology. Uh, your career has evolved through the development and application of technology, yet you don't consider yourself a technologist per se, right? You, you, you even said something like, you don't like technology just for technology's sake. You only like it if it's supporting the right things, right? So as somebody who, who is a technologist by trade, when you made the comment that you don't even like technology if it's, if, if it's, if it's not appropriately applied, that kind of stood out, right? So can, can you give us a little more insight on, on your perspective in that regard? Yeah, yeah. So, and it's kind of more of a macro picture, at least for me personally. Um, it's, it's become so overwhelming. Right, technology, and I think about it. Um, I have I have three daughters, ages nine, nineteen to eleven, and I look at it from my kind of a societal level of what it's, what it's doing and the impact it's having. Um, and we see it; we see a lot of the results of it, right? And it's, we're kind of in the early stages of a kind of a technology experiment. And when you allow it to become overly pervasive, it starts to be detrimental. And it starts to become detrimental to the relationships. And you see this with you know, some of the stats of one in four Americans don't feel that they're understood by their peers, as an example, right? An increase in, in feeling more isolated and alienated, yet we're always glued to our phones and, and our technology, but yet there's something kind of missing in that. So for me, as I think about the business that we're in, it really is about the connection. And I really do believe technology plays a role in that connection, but not the role, right? It never is going to, it's a supplement to you know, what we do every day. It's a tool that we apply, but it needs to be contained within that tool chest, right? And use it as appropriate. And what we see and what we've, what we've witnessed a little bit with financial services is that it's, it's become much more of the, at the forefront. It's kind of, it's, it's the end in itself. And for me, it's a means to an end is that you utilize it at the appropriate time in the relationship because it helps drive some efficiencies. And this is not to say like all technology is bad. It's a, it's, of course, I'm not saying that. I'm saying be thoughtful when you do use it, right? And, and know when to use it, but make sure that it's never encroaching too much and becoming all pervasive. And you're relying on technology in a sense to replace what your value proposition is and ultimately your value proposition as an advisor as an institution is that connection is the understanding of the situation that your clients is 
clients are in, having the empathy to understand what's going on, and then ultimately provide solutions to what is happening, what their goals, aspirations might be. Again, technology is utilized as a tool, as an end, right? Not in itself, but as a means to that end. And that's kind of how I, I frame it um, as we think about, you know, our business and what, and what we do. Does that yeah, make that's, that makes perfect sense. And, and, and to me, it keeps technology in perspective, right? Because I completely agree that we can get carried away with technology and let that rule how we're running the business, which could be a huge mistake, right? So, so, so you mentioned the, the word relationship about a dozen times, right? Just yeah. now. Um, and I'd like to key off of that. I'd like to ask you all a question related to that. And, and maybe Brian, you can lead off answering this one, but I'd like to hear, hear Brandon and Ryan, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on this as well. So, so the question I have is, you know, we're having a, a conversation about technology, but we don't want to, as Eugene just implied, we don't want to let the tail wag, wag the dog. So one of the primary difference makers in our industry is trust. It's that relationship stuff that, that Eugene mentioned, right? And so building trust is, is critical. Becoming a trusted advisor in the true sense of the word is critical. When you're a trusted advisor, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to know if you're a trusted advisor because you're managing the majority of your client's assets, right? If you're, if you're not managing the majority of your client's investable assets, you're, you're an afterthought. You're not a trusted advisor, right? So, um, so, if that is critical, how can technology support the process of gaining that trust of, of your clients and becoming a trusted advisor? Brian, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very powerful one. Um, first, I would say that you as an advisor have to acknowledge that your client expectations have changed when it comes to how they wish to build relationships of trust. You're still trying to get to the same place, but the tools that they use have, have shifted. Now, of course, face-to-face -face relationships, nothing beats them, right? Looking at each other in a Zoom format is a close second, but getting together, right? Because we are humans and we crave that social dynamic is absolutely essential. However, consider for a moment that texting, right? Has now become the most rapid way of communicating with anyone on the face of the earth. And consider for a moment that client portals and mobile devices, right, are now in the hands of pre predominantly all of the population uh, here in the country. These tools are part of that equation of how do you build the relationship. And they're part of an expectation that your clients have in order to connect with financial advisors and their teams to establish and, and strengthen that relationship over time. It's not to say that you're not gonna see people face-to-face. -face. Of course, you're gonna to continue to do that. We're gonna get past COVID, but these tools are not going away. And people actually want more connectivity and with all of these tools combined than they did years ago because of the simplicity of using them. Great, Brandon and Ryan, um, you both have thoughts, right? So uh, Brandon, you wanna go first? Sure, sure. I would, I would just say that I wholeheartedly agree with everything Brian just said. And I'll just, I'll just tell a quick story if that helps. I had a client come into the office about two years ago, first time I had ever met her. She did have an, a, an account with us, uh, had about $100,000 in an IRA account. And we had spoken on the phone about her account, and I had let her know about Money Guide Pro, which is a 
software program we used for financial planning and explained to her that we could put together a financial plan for her and that for all of my clients with more than $100,000 invested with me, it was a, something I was recommending for them because I knew that most of them had other assets and we wanted to be able to give them more clarity, more insight and better direction on all of their assets, whether we happen to manage them or not. So she came to the meeting with a literally a shoebox full of statements for all of her other accounts. And we sat down, we went through the statements, we started to build the financial plan in Money Guide Pro. And as we were finishing up with our meeting, I asked her, I said, would you like it if you could see all of your accounts in one place instead of waiting for statements to come in from five or six different companies? And I took just a minute to show her the program we use, which is called Clear One, to aggregate all investment accounts into one place where the client can log in and they can see all of their accounts real time. They can download their statements. They can send a text message to their advisor. It's a very robust and very versatile system. Well, the long story short is she loved what she was seeing so much that we were able actually to capture the rest of her assets. So today she's got nearly $800,000 invested with us. We manage all of her money. She doesn't have the shoebox full of statements any longer because she doesn't need it. And anytime she needs anything, she sends me a text message. I get it on my computer and I'm able to text, call, or email back usually within a half hour. And the relationship has gotten much better. And now we're even Facebook friends. So if I put something up, I posted a picture of my family from the 4th of July and she was the first person to comment. So the relationship between myself and this client has become much more of a, a true friendship. And it's, it's all because we were able to use some of the tools we have in our technology bucket to give her that peace of mind that she really wanted. And it's been a great experience. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great example of how technology can enhance uh, the relationship uh, by making things more transparent on both sides of the equation, not only from a, an investment and a business standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. In, in, in uh, an earlier podcast episode, we had an advisor uh, tell us how you know, his, his young kid jumping in his lap during a client Zoom call enhanced the relationship with, uh, with, with his client because they, get to, they got to know each other on a, on a personal level. So, so uh, that's good stuff. Uh, Ryan, you also had some thoughts? Um, yeah, on the trust component, I, I think, and, and Eugene was kind of touching on this, but I think allowing, you know, say clients or even prospects, the option to select how, how they're enabling technology, how they're connecting with their advisor or, you know, using it for a function that they see fit. I think that helps build the trust in a relationship because that, that gives them the control when people are in control, I think that helps them feel more comfortable. And really, if we have a lot of really cool tools, but somebody feels uncomfortable, they're not going to use it. And I think that might hinder that trust component. So honestly, I think the best way to enhance the trust is really leveraging the tools for technology to help your clients feel comfortable in that relationship. That's, that's kind of my, my take on this. So, so let me ask you a um a related question. So trust is enhanced through understanding, right? And what I mean by that is uh, I often say 
that the best thing that you can do to enhance the trust between yourself and your clients is to do a phenomenal job during the discovery process, right? Because that's critical. If you do a good job in the discovery process, if, if you ask the right questions, if you truly understand what it means to your clients to take care of their loved ones, right? What, what those emotional incentives are behind the financial decisions they make, if you understand that, right? If you understand their family situation, if you understand if they have elderly parents that they're caring for and if they have kids that they're trying to put through college and all that stuff your relationship is enhanced they're going to trust you more and more right so that discovery process to me is critical how do you guys see and i'll throw this out to all of you any one of you can answer how do you guys see technology enhancing the discovery process and i, I just want to say I, i'm not asking about the discovery of where their current assets are. What I am asking about is the discovery of where they are in their lives as it relates to their financial needs. How can technology help with that? Brian and then Brandon. So uh, what's fascinating about that, that question is um, you can see through the additional adoption of data in particular that we all have in our footprint of navigating through the internet and, and making decisions in our daily lives, that data is becoming so valuable to help us understand things about ourselves that frankly, at times we don't even notice until it's placed in front of us. So for example, um, if you have a prospect or a lead and you're able to pull information around social media, right? The location they live in, um, interests, that they have. This information when aggregated, presented as part of a profile, helps the advisor understand the needs of the prospect, at least from a, a baseline perspective, to then build the planning or the conversation down a certain lane and, and frankly get ahead of the curve. Um, in addition, one, one of the things that I'm seeing in the industry that I think is really intriguing is this idea of building you know, best practices for people that are succeeding right, in certain areas? What should a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old do in order to continue to work toward retirement or achieving goals? But doing that based upon data that's being accumulated by others who are ahead of them who are succeeding in that capacity, that creates a really meaningful dialogue between a prospect and an advisor with a data-centric platform where they can give them some direction that's gonna help them really think about their lives and how to achieve the goals that they want to financially going forward. Yeah, I, I think data, actually, I want to dive into data a little bit more uh, later in this discussion, but I think data mining and um, um, getting data at, out of silos is, is critical going forward. So, so let's push that aside for now. But Brandon, you had some thoughts and Eugene, I think you want to contribute as well. So Brandon, why don't you go first? Sure. Yeah. Again, like I said earlier, I agree with everything Brian said. And for me, it, it always starts with the little things. Um, you know, if I'm sitting there talking to somebody, for example, I can see that um, you've got a picture on the wall behind you of some people skiing. And the first time I had a meeting with Brian, um, it was a web-based meeting and he pulled up his desktop to share it. And I could see that he had a picture of Lake Powell, Utah on his screen. So I noticed the little things about people and I try to use that as a way to connect with them to start with, because I've, I've found in my life, it's true, the mantra we've all heard before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
And if you start noticing the little things about people, places they like to go, things they like to do, and start to draw in comparisons and make those connections early with them that, hey, I like to ski too. I grew up in Utah. I love to ski. Um, I've been to Lake Powell several times in my life. And so I start to look for ways I can connect with people early on in the process because I'm not going to get into talking about their financial uh, privacy or you know, a lot of those things right off the bat, we're going to look for ways to connect and start to build that commonality first. And, you know, social media has been a great tool for that, of course, because if anybody has a Facebook account or even a LinkedIn page, you can start to get a semblance of what these people are interested in, what they like to do. And it all starts from just those common connections. Yeah, agree. So, so Brandon, it's interesting. You point out that picture behind me and, and the people listening to the podcast can't see that, but that's actually a picture of my brother and I at Snowbird. So just up the road from where you and Ryan are. <laughs> yep. Been there many times. I bet you have. I'm jealous. <laughs> Eugene. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think how Brandon and Brian articulated it is right on. Um, and just, just going back to the trust aspect of it, it's, it's, you don't trust somebody day one, right? Trust is built over a period of time. And it, and, it's, and it is those little things that matter, right? It's that there's a genuine interest in the other. You're not having a purpose of, I just want to get your assets, but you actually show a, a level of caring and understanding, right? And, and that you're interested in their lives and what they're doing, whether it's the, the snowbird example and the commonality of skiing or Lake Powell or whatever it might be. But there's a genuine interest in who they are and where they are and what they're doing. And that is at the fundamental, I think, from an advisor standpoint, is that they actually care about the other person. And they're generally there to try to help and, and, and create solutions and provide the right advice so these people can achieve their dreams and aspirations and things like that. But it's a process that you have to go through. And people have to really recognize that you're interested. And I think technology plays a really important point of that. When, you're, when you have a lot of relationships and you're genuine and authentic in those relationships, you're gathering a lot of information about them, whether you mentioned, Scott, about the, the grandparents and things like that. And as, you, as technology and the use of data is, is making you have kind of that level of transparency around the relationship, so you are asking this question, how is your grandmother? Oh, I know that you had a trip to Snowbird um, you know, in, in February. How was that trip? And yeah, you put the note in there, you put the reminder in there, right? And that's where technology becomes important. But you're just using that as, as a way because you are genuinely interested in the relationship. And those little things add up, right? And, and I think that the fact, Randy talked about the client that came in the shoebox, you understood like, wow, it's a lot of stuff and it's a lot of maintenance. So it seems like a pain. You know, I have some solutions for you, right? And, and like, wow. And every time you kind of build on, and, and Ryan, you're hitting on this, Every time you deliver one of these solutions, and, and, and by themselves they're kind of small things, but when you start to look at it in totality, they become very big. That trust and that connection continues to form that, hey, Brandon, you really are in this for me, and you are thinking about me, You both, you know, both from a, a personal level as well as a practical level of what I'm dealing with. And all those things become adding up to ultimately get into that position of that trusted advisor. And, 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 and you mentioned it, Scott, like, well, you know you, they trust you if you have all of their assets. That doesn't happen day one, we know that. It happens only over time because you've solidified that trust. And so all these things are, are kind of mixing together. And it's not just, 
hey, I'm texting you all the time. We really have a great relationship. That's irrelevant. What do you text me about? Do you know that I actually don't like texting, right? Maybe if you knew that, you wouldn't text me so much. That's where technology can be helpful in the process saying, Scott does not like texting. Don't text him. He likes calls, you know, things like that. You're, you're, uh, you're implying, at least part of what you're saying is implying a very effective use of, of CRM tools, right? Which I think is uh, becoming more and more critical. And I know just from working in the industry that most advisors, and I think most is the appropriate term, most advisors do not use CRM effectively. So push that aside for a second, because I know, Ryan, you had some, some thoughts that you want to contribute. Um, but then we can get back to CRM if you'd like, right? Yeah, yeah, real quickly, it, it kind of just dawned on me because so Brandon, as as I will attest, he is an excellent advisor. And Scott, to your point earlier about asking the right questions or meaningful questions to get a connection with people and help them realize that you do care for them and their situation. Technology, and Eugene was just hitting on it too, technology can... I guess, take away some of that mental bandwidth that an advisor has to spend time concentrating on. I don't have to remember their birthday or, you know, something very, you know, fundamental because it's, it's captured in there. And to your point about CRM tool usage, if you're allowing the technology to push things at you that you don't necessarily need to remember or, or conjure up when you're having a discussion with somebody, it allows the advisor the mental bandwidth to be more engaged when they're asking questions to listen more intently. I think that would actually enhance the trust. I think it helps them be better listeners. Um, it frees up that mental bandwidth. Brandon can charm the birds off the trees as an advisor, but because he's got tools available to him in that role, that he doesn't have to pay attention to every single critical component. He can look around and, oh, tell me about the ski trip and the this and the that. All that stuff is helpful because he has the ability to think, um, I guess, without concentrating on too many other items. Yeah, I think that's well, well, very well put. The, the mental bandwidth is limited, right? And if you can rely on technology to remind you of the things that are important and then be able to focus on connecting with the client, with the rest of your bandwidth, right? Then you're, you're in good shape. Completely agree. You, Eugene? Yeah, I just, I just want to just absolutely echo what, what Ryan's saying. And, and, and that's really where technologies truly being utilized when we talk about kind of enhancing and enriching the relationship. Yeah. It's a bandwidth issue that we all have in life, right? And, and, and how data is now looked at and utilized becomes more and more critical because of this, right? We're, it's just, we're inundated with so much information. And so the key here is, is that how do we figure out to give more time back to advisors to focus on the, the relationship and, and having that bandwidth to have conversations and go deeper in that in, 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 their, in their relationship versus administrative stuff or trying to figure out what to do, missing pieces. So the critical aspect is that how do we refine the data, provide it and serve it up to the advisor in a really intuitive way so they're, they have it at their fingertips so they're having those deeper conversations and they're utilizing the information to talk whether it's a birthday or a ski trip or whatever it might be is that it's very easy for them to access that and utilize that then versus one either forgetting about it entirely or having a hunt and peck to try to get that information. So this is where we're seeing how kind of the, the, the human side and the technology converge and in order to give more capacity back to advisors to focus on 
the things that are valuable, which is really understanding the client and developing that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Eugene, you just, you just reminded me of something that Brian, I think you said a little bit earlier um, and it relates to client expectations. If I recall, Brian, you said something about, you know, client expectations and client expectations have increased dramatically, right? What a client expects from a relationship, um, is very different today than it was 10 years ago. And technology has had a lot to do with that. So, so how do you exceed those expectations for, for clients? So, you know, how, how do you leverage technology to exceed client expectations? And I want to be specific. One of the most important elements of the question relates to the client experience, right? So the experience that the client has in working with you as an advisor or with your firm has to reflect a degree of professionality and caring, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, that not only meets client expectations, but in the perfect world scenario surpasses client expectations and, and, and acts as a differentiator. I mean, you want the client after that experience with you to, to sit back and say, wow, that was easier than I thought it would be. And that was actually a pleasant experience, right? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of making stuff up here, but you get what I'm saying. So, so, so Brian, from a client expectation standpoint, how, how do you leverage technology to meet and exceed clients' expectations? I, I think, Scott, you touched on a number of key points. Technology, right, by itself is a factor in a larger experience offering that successful financial advisors and, frankly, successful companies think a lot about and how they create an experience that's differentiated uh, in the marketplace. Um, I mean, to give you an example, Apple, right? If you think about them as one of the great technology companies, they argue that while they do great with technology, it's the experience of using Apple products. It's elegant. You have great service. There's a store. You can go in and meet with someone that's well-informed. The experience of it coming together is different than its peers. Um, that's what successful organizations are doing is they're thinking, what is the experience that I'm offering? How do I blend this together into a, a, a set of factors that make me stand out uh, amongst my peers, right? That, that are differentiated. Um, and, and it touches on several things, right? It, it, technology, yes, is a part, but it's also seamlessness. People don't want to, you know, wait around for things to get processed anymore. We're in an instant gratification mindset where we want to update an address on a cell phone. Uh, we want to send a text message and get an answer that can allow us to, to get into a client portal for more detail. It's about a very seamless integration of everything coming together between the human element, the processes, and the technology in my mind to achieve that differentiated experience and how it, how it stands out amongst your peers. It's so difficult to do. And frankly, it can never just stay uh, locked in stone. It has to constantly be evaluated and modified because everyone is moving this forward in, in different combinations. Oftentimes it's easier to talk about the cautionary tale, what not to do. You don't wanna just buy a bunch of technology, throw it at a client or throw it at an advisor on a Monday morning and say, good luck. That's the wrong way to do it. You don't wanna simply you know, rest on your laurels thinking, the type of business that I do is really face-to-face -face only and phone calls, and I'm just going to continue to do that for 50 hours a week. That's not it either. It's this combination, right, that's constantly evaluated and tinkered with that comes together to really create the differentiation that makes the success that, that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, well, well, well said. Brandon? 
Yeah. So when Brian was talking, it made me think of something, you know, my belief is that in today's world, people equate quality with speed. Um, And what I mean by that is the faster you can deliver something to someone, the more they view you as a quality brand, a quality product, a quality service. You think about how many people shop for things on Amazon today versus five years ago. You know, I can, I can order something on Amazon Prime and it's on my doorstep tomorrow. I don't have to take a bath in alcohol and put on a hazmat suit and go downtown to the store where I wait in line for an hour to get inside. I just order it and it's there the next right. day. And with the technology we have at our fingertips, thanks to Brian's team and, and Eugene's leadership, is means that any client that calls up asking for just about anything with regard to their account, I can either have it to them either five, ten, five to 10 minutes flat via email. I can have it waiting for them at the branch if they'd rather stop by the branch. Even older folks who don't use computers very much, we can have paperwork prepared and waiting for them at the receptionist desk at a branch in 10 minutes or less, any location they want. They stop by, they sign their forms, the branch scans them back and we have them uploaded to their account same day. Um, with Zoom, of course, you know, the last few months we've all been using Zoom a lot. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client call up with a question. I ask them if they're sitting at their computer. I invite them to a quick Zoom meeting and we go in face to face live over Zoom. I share my screen, I pull up their account and we handle it right then and there. And being able to have that ability to be fast with the quality that we provide for our clients they love it. And, and we've seen referrals increasing from client base like we haven't in the past. And I think a lot of that just has to do with being able to deliver our product quickly to people and, and solving their problem as fast as possible. Yeah, no, that's, that's good stuff. And I, I, have a, I have a thought for you, but I want to let Eugene chip in here uh, first. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and the way I view it is, is there's, there's kind of two dimensions to this, right? When you talk about client expectations, there, there's these this expectations of, of speed and I'm empowered to do the things that I need to do. So if I want to change my address online, I should have, you know, off my phone, let me, let me be able to do that quickly. If I want to search for some information and documents, I want to be able to do that, you know, again, easily and it's accessible. And, and, and that's, that's this kind of convenience factor. And that's what expectations are, whether you talk about Amazon or, or, or Google or whatever it might be, right? That's the Apple, that's the expectation that we all have. And that's certainly one dimension of this. The other dimension is, is that, is this, is this meaningful to me, right? So this goes back to kind of the, the personalization aspect and, and, and Brandon, you kind of hit on it, the, the, the quality portion of the, the conversation is that, is the content I'm consuming relevant to me? Do you know who I am, right? It's back to, does, does the, the business that I'm working with understand me and know who I am? And this is really this kind of critical play that the advisor has in this kind of this ecosystem or this relationship is that they, they have this opportunity to, to really know the client and to understand the client and provide them with meaningful and personalized content. So just taking, for example, the Amazon, Amazon doesn't really know me, right? I go in there and what they know is my behaviors, right? They know my transactions. And so they're going to surface stuff up. That's kind of, they think, you know, people like me like to look at this book, this movie, this tool, whatever it might be. And that's just a, a behavioral analytics off of it, but they don't know me. They don't know what I'm about. 
And that's because they don't have the human dimension. And that's not what they're set up necessarily to do. Our business is. And so I think when we talk about exceeding client expectations, it's how we marry those worlds together that makes this so powerful. And technology has to play a critical component to provide what is meaningful, and it might be some behavioral analytics, things of that nature, but surfacing up to the advisor so they can take that in addition to all these you know, seamless experiences that we just talked about and provide that as one solution set for that client. That's when we're seeing an expectation shift, that we're going well beyond. It's not just a you know, one dimension here or one dimension there. Great content, but I can't do anything right? Online, I can't do anything for myself. I can do all these really cool things, but I don't really have any content. They don't, it's not personalized. Bring those two elements together, and then you're sitting in a very different situation. And that's what we're after right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting concept, right? And you, you define that well. So technology has the ability to analyze your behavior, but it really doesn't have the ability to humanize that, right? To put it in the context of you as a human, and then how to help you as a human based on the knowledge of your behavior, right? So that, that's, combine those two things, right? And you, you're, you're there. Uh, Brandon, you had some thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. No, everything Eugene just said is absolutely true. In my experience, you know, we, we've won a lot of business in our program with clients who have previously worked with a robo-advisor because the human element was missing right? The robo-advisor knows what they invest in, but it doesn't know them. And so when we have the capability of combining the human factor with the technology, it allows us to get to really know the client as a person. And I also believe clients want to know us as well. Um, I remember when I first got started in the business, my manager uh, told me I needed to pay for a Yellow Pages ad because the way he put it is if you're in business and you're not in the Yellow Pages, then you're not in business. And of course, today we don't have really a yellow pages anymore, but now we have LinkedIn, we have Facebook, we have these other social media platforms. It's kind of the same thing. You know, if you're in business today and you don't have a LinkedIn account, you don't have a LinkedIn page where your prospective clients can find you, read some articles you've posted, read some, you know, look at some videos that you're sharing, then you're not in business. They have to be able to find you. And when I've gotten to know people better and talk to them and using the technology, I find that a lot of those people come back and will request to link up with me on LinkedIn as well, because as clients, they want to be able to read the articles I'm posting. They want to be able to watch the videos we're posting. They want to be able to see that market commentary that we post. And so it's all about the connection between us as human beings through the technology that we, that we have. It's just a tool but the way we use it increases our quality product and our brand for our clients. Yeah. So, so uh, completely agree. So let me make a comment that um, is related to a lot of the stuff that you guys were just talking about. And it, and it, and it relates uh, more to what, if you're an advisor and I ask you, what is your product? How do you answer that question? Right? What, what is the, what is it that you're, what is the product that you're selling? Right. And, and uh, so I will posit that uh, you're, if you answer that question as an advisor and you say, well, my products are advisory accounts and annuities and investments, you're wrong. 
right? You're, you're barking up the wrong tree, you're not gonna succeed. Um, so I think it's become more and more evident, especially if you study successful advisors, that they see their process as their product. And, and let me describe what I mean by that, because I think this relates to technology. And that is that if, if you look at what an advisor does and where an advisor adds value, right? Certainly an advisor doesn't add value by getting in the middle of a transaction because you don't need a human in the middle of a transaction anymore, right? Um, a, a, an advisor only adds value in the process by which that advisor works with their client through the journey of what their investment needs and their investment life is, right? So, so there's a process that you need to take your clients through if you're an advisor that's going to differentiate you from everybody else if that process is really good. So, so my claim is that the only differentiator you have is your process. And if you think of your process as your product and make sure that you have a standardized process that exceeds expectations, you're gonna do really well as an advisor. Technology is really going to help you do that if you apply technology well, right? So if your process is your product, how do you leverage technology to make sure you have the best process out there or at least one that differentiates you from 90% of the other advisors? Right. That's a fair question. I think. Correct. Brandon. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, I've had people ask me that before, you know, what do you guys do? It's not about, you know, mutual funds, annuities, whatever have you. We provide insight, clarity, and peace of mind. That's the business we're in. We're in the business of giving our clients insight about what's going on, why things happen the way they do, clarity about why they should be doing something specific for themselves and then the followed up peace of mind of knowing that they're on the right track that's our product now the process comes from the technology right because we use tools like financial planning software we use portfolio analysis calculators all these different things to provide that product for the client but at the end of the day if they walk out of the office with more insight more clarity and more peace of mind than they had when they met with us, they're going to stick around. And I can attest to that by telling you that throughout this last three, four months during the pandemic at our program here in Utah, we haven't lost any clients. We've actually invested more money than we did a year ago. And it, it's because those clients that do work with us, they have those three things, the insight, clarity, the peace of mind, and they actually share that with their friends and family. So we find people calling us out of the blue that aren't even members of the credit union asking if they can come talk to us because they've talked to their brother, their sister-in-law, whoever, and they've been explained to that, hey, look, I invested with these guys a year ago. And during the pandemic, my portfolio only dropped by 3% or 5% rather than 35 or 40%. And it's because we use those tools that the technology provides us with to give that to the client. Yeah, yeah that's good. You allow your clients to sleep at night. That makes a big difference, right? <laughs> Hope so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian? You know, Scott, to, to build on something you, you said a moment ago, I think that when you evaluate the, the client experience from an end-to-end -end perspective, 
you also have to consider those moments, right? Those unexpected moments of life that impact clients' needs to be able to connect with a trusted advisor to think their way through. Who would have thought we'd be in a pandemic right now, right? Who would have thought some of the scenarios that Brandon just mentioned would be real life scenarios that we are dealing with now that I wouldn't have guessed this to be this, be experiencing in 2020 in one out of 100 guesses, right? It's just right. expected. So those moments, those critical moments are so essential to have that trusted advisor available to help give guidance and direction, to give peace of mind and clarity, to use some of Brandon's terms, in order to continue the client down a certain path. And technology helps them with that continuation. In fact, another way to say it is that there's a dirty secret in our industry, which I think we're all aware of, which is if you ever ask a client why they left their former advisor, the number one answer is not a lack of performance or a lack of products. The number one answer is they felt neglected. And, and it's these moments right now where that neglect happens that, that clients think, maybe this is the time to make a change because I need that connectivity. I need someone who I can trust and I need the tools to be able to interact with them, in this case, remotely, in order to continue to achieve my goals. If I don't have all that, maybe I'm in the wrong spot. And, and, and I think that's a big element to, to thinking about how we look at these relationships over time, these unexpected moments. Yeah. So, uh, Eugene? Yeah, just, 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 just on that. And I, and I think that there's, there is that process that you're talking about, right? And, and, that, and that can be a differentiator. Um, but it's also just in, in that process, the critical aspect is that ongoing aspect of it as well, right? So, so sometimes you can have a really good process up front that we'll call it the discovery phase and, and, and maybe whether you use a, you know, a financial planning tool, this one, that one, it's irrelevant, but you're going through that discovery phase and you're, you're gathering a lot of information and then you're going to build kind of solution sets around that information. But the, and, 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 and you build that bond and, and, and that trust starts up but what's also really critical in the process is, is the ongoing aspect of it. And this is where I do believe technology plays a very fundamental role as, as, as the relationship evolves over time. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the pivoting away from, which I think we've done as an industry and are doing a better job in getting there, is it's not about the return of the S&P and it's not about the million dollars. It's about what is it that you wanna do, right? whether it's, you know, a, a plan to send my, 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 my first child to college, or it's, you know, how to take care of my elderly parents as they're aging, right? All those things that, and Brian, you touched on, these life event things, these are all like fundamental life events. But what's critical, though, is that you can design a really nice plan around it, but how are you implementing it? How do you hold the advisor accountable for what they said they're going to do? And I believe transparency, uh, technology provides a level of transparency around there. So if I set a goal for college, how am I doing against that goal? I wanna look at my phone and say, hey, I've got a 25% likelihood of, of getting my kid to college. You know, Brandon, not to pick on Brandon, but you told me when we sat down five years ago that we're, it's not gonna be a problem at all. What's going on? And so there's, and it's important because it's a double-edged sword with technology is that, yeah, it's a great tool and you can do a lot with it, especially in the beginning, but it also holds the, quite honestly, the advisor, the institution accountable, and it gives transparency and power to the client to see what's really going on. And if you're successful and it's saying, hey, look, I told you that we we're going to do this, we followed the plan, 
and, and you, you're actually ahead of schedule, that's a wonderful thing to, to, to realize as a client. You've met your obligation as the advisor. You've helped the client achieve that goal. And when we talk about kind of the big explosions of trust, we talk about kind of the little pieces of building trust. These are the big explosions of trust. Brandon helped me send my first child to college. How powerful is that? Right. And having the transparency and the guidance throughout the, the years that it took to get there. That's for me, that's where powerful technology comes to play. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good objective to have as people that uh, build and support technology is to create those explosions of trust. That's a good quote. I might use that. <laughs> yeah, that um, that's, that's what we want. And that's, yeah, again, yeah. That, that has nothing like, you know, again, back to this is about the kind of the realization of, 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 of that goal. And it just so happens to be it's on my phone, right, um, that I'm seeing it. But it really has, in a sense, it's, it, it's all emotional. Yeah. It's all about the human, right, at the end of the day. Yep, no doubt. So, so let me, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to something, Eugene, that I think you said, and I think it relates to this. It goes a little bit back to, you know, knowing the behaviors, but there's a much bigger picture here, and, and it relates to data. So, one, one of my frustrations working in the bank and credit union space for a long time is the siloed data. And, and what I mean by that is if you think of a, of a bank or credit union and, and, and the wide variety of services they can offer to clients, uh, it's, it's unmatched, right? So the IBD channel to a degree is eating, is eating the lunch of the bank and credit union channel, but why? The bank and credit union channel has so much more to offer from a comprehensive financial services standpoint, if they could get their act together. So from a, from a technology and a data standpoint, the fact that data is still siloed in different departments is detrimental, right? And I know there are challenges to unsiloing that data, but I think it's critical. So in theory, if a bank or a credit union can start sharing data cross-departmentally, get it out of the silos, and then mine that data to really, um, you know, send up, flags and, and notifications and you know what what they call next best actions right to advisors based on a mortgage that was taken out or a refi or a business loan or you know whatever it might be or, or a check that came in you know from fidelity to the account et cetera, et cetera. and that's just golden stuff and and you know a lot of people are talking about it but i don't know many in our channel that are that are getting it right so what's stopping that from, from happening? You know, what are the best practices in that regard? And how do you see the role of data in that regard evolving in the future? Eugene? Yeah, so, um, I mean, it, it, that's a spot on. Um, a lot of the conversations that we're having are about data. Quite frankly, as we move forward, um, those that understand how to utilize data and how to make it part of their business um, will be um, the leaders in the wealth management space. So it's really about data utilization at the end of the day. And it doesn't have to get overly complex and it doesn't have to get into the big, big data sets and billions of transactions. It can be much more simplified to the point that you just made about having a little bit more transparency you know, of, of, of the client 
um, and certain uh, awareness and alerts of the, the, you know, the, the, the deposit uh, coming in from Fidelity, to use your example. So it, again, it doesn't have to be overly complex. Um, but fundamentally, I, I think, again, stepping back a little bit is what, what advisors do is provide you know, financial advice and soundness to, 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 to their clients and take you know, peace of mind, to use Brandon's term. How, how do you do that? Well, part of that is that you have to look at both sides of the balance sheets. You have to have the assets and liabilities. When we talk about financial planning, it's not financial planning just for assets and asset growth. It's saying, okay, so, so what other factors play into this? Liabilities are a critical component of that. How much debt do I have on? You know, am I spending more than I make, right? Simple things that we have to get to. And as advisors, I could say, we, you know, the industry as a whole, don't do a good job of that. For so long, the psychology has been to divide those two components up, right? I've got, you know, I do the assets over here and I, and I have my budgeting and bill pay and debt over here. So now bringing this together, the job really, like from our perspective as an organization is how do you bring the assets and liabilities into one view? So you have the full picture for the client. So as the advisors going forward and doing a plan, right, a long-term plan, they're taking all these things into account. Banks, credit unions clearly have one side of the balance sheet, you know, the, you know, then you have the asset side. It's critical, it's an imperative that these two things come together to give that transparency to the advisor so they can ultimately, at the end of the day, provide the, the right level of advice and, and, and put that plan in place. And so that's one really critical dimension to this. The second is, is where you're going a little bit out of Scott, which is, okay, if I had more insights into what was going on, transactions, behaviors on the banking or the credit union side, and I had the, that information, I could be more proactive with solutions and I could be more proactive of, of, of guidance and advice. So again, it always comes back to how do you aggregate that data into one repository to provide that level of transparency? And you have to model your data structures to be able to do it. You have to actually model them to take external coming into it. But that is the, the holy grail there is that you need to have both sets of, of, of the balance sheet of the data into one view. And then you can start to do all sorts of things with it, right? And then you can start to get those insights, next specs action. Hey, look, you know, there's an alternative and let's do a refi. Um, but what we really have to do is we have to work with the financial institutions to get comfortable providing that information so we can begin starting to run some analysis on it to begin surfacing up that to the advisors through reportings, through different awareness of, of what they're doing and what options. And you know, it, it's happening now. And we see it, if you start to look at kind of the, 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 the bigger firms out there and the, the bigger wirehouses, they've all transitioned to a bank, right? And the asset side and bring it all together. Right. Everything from the mortgages to securities-based lending to online bill pay, it's ultimately after that you know, consolidated client experience where I can do everything in one spot. I can see my mortgage. I can see my liabilities. I can see how I'm paying them off. I can see my asset growth. I have it all combined in one place because it all sits under one central kind of repository that they're pushing that information up. And then off of that is that they're providing more insights. And so here's an opportunity to go and talk to the client about you know, a lending opportunity. And maybe it's not a mortgage, but maybe it's security-based lending at, at, a, at a better interest rate for a shorter period of time to use their securities as collateral. That's all happening. The credit union and, and bank channel needs to become more aggressive in that space. 
to offer those solutions to the advisors and ultimately to their clients. And, and, and we're not there yet, right? Um, the technology is there, but, but organizationally um, hasn't happened as of yet. So, so let me ask you a follow-on question and then Ryan, um, let me get your response here. But so Eugene, the follow-on question is if you, so, so when you look at, when you look at Atria as a holding company, you own a bunch of broker dealers on many sides of the equation, right? So when, when you compare other channels to the bank and credit union channel and look at specifically the roadblocks in the bank and credit union channel, the roadblocks to allowing all that data to live together in a central warehouse, what are those primary roadblocks and do you have any good examples of uh, breaking down those roadblocks to, to, to make it happen? Yeah, I think the roadblock has been um, to some degree around, obviously around privacy yeah. um, and, and, and what the regulatory um, requirements are around the sharing of data um, and getting more and more comfortable with the ability to share. So I think, again, that's, that's a, a very legitimate and real issue um, that has to, has to be overcome. Right. And we'll have to get comfortable with it. I also think it's a cultural aspect is again, you know, even in, 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 in companies that have been trying to bring this together more and more over the last decade, there's still kind of a, a kind of a, a, a psychology of the separation between the two. So from a cultural standpoint and really always focusing in on the, on the end client experience, you know, why this is important to bring those together. So there's some, some mental barriers, psychological barriers that need to, to come down in order to bring, um, you know, basically executive level to bring this together to show how, it, how, it's, uh, how it's critical and important to service the clients. So I, I see those two as, the, as the, the two fundamental. What we are seeing now, interestingly, is that um, especially now during COVID and, and, and what's going on is that there's becoming a little bit more of an openness to share more and more of that information um, with, you know, top decile deposits uh, from clients um, and providing that over as looking at opportunities to see where, you know, maybe there's rather than having it sitting in a, in a money market, um, what alternatives are out there for those deposits in, in other areas. So, Openness is starting to happen, I would say, um, and we just need to kind of continue that momentum. Okay, good. So you're seeing some progress. That's a, that's yeah, a, that's a good sure. sign. Yeah, I think, and I, 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 the other side of it, just so you, we're also seeing more firms through APIs of getting the data out of um, where it is in, in Unio, the platform for Atria, into their data warehouses and starting to look at it from their perspectives, those that have that infrastructure. Right, which is another barrier because you need to make a significant investment in that infrastructure. But they're starting to pull much more of that data, that client data out to look at it holistically for the, you know, for the reasons why you know, we've been talking about and, and how you teed up the question. That's starting to happen more and more, but that tends to be at some of the larger institutions that we see that have made the, the kind of the financial commitment to the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, so, so my, my hope is that there's realization of the need, right? To, to bring all this data together. Um, and now it's just dealing with the roadblock. So once the need is realized, you, you'll see progress, you know, once they figure out ways to get the roadblocks out of the way. And it's, it's good that you're seeing some progress already because I think that's, sure. that's critical to exceeding client expectations, right? And, 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 and knowing what the next best action is. Ryan, you, you had some thoughts in this regard as well, right? Yeah, I did. Just, um, it was kind of echoing actually, Eugene hit on it just perfectly. The culture 
at, specifically in a lot of the credit unions I work with, the culture is very protective, that privacy component, obviously, but they're very protective of their, their membership base. They, they almost view their members in a different light than, say, a bank treats a, quote, customer. So they, they feel it's very different. But there are definitely some credit unions that have taken a lot more interest in developing what they may call a business intelligence unit or, or some sort of little group of you know, analysts that are putting together that next best opportunity. And a lot of the times they're now reaching out to us because they are embracing that there's a, shall we say, disruption in the current environment. And how do they go about connecting with their membership base? How are they going to incorporate the financial advisors a little bit more? So I'm seeing it in real time and actually helping some of these programs do that exact thing, targeting working with the financial advisor. And they, they see this as value add because they recognize if we can provide more information to the advisor, the advisor has a better chance to create a more worthwhile financial plan. If we don't have all the data, the plan kind of gets discounted. So the credit unions have been kind of buying in and even that executive level we were just speaking of, those are the folks that are actually going, well, if I'm truly interested in making sure my membership gets the best experience, I should look at ways to push more information, more data, and help the advisors make a better plan, make a better choice with the products. So I do think that that is part of it, is that culture, but it is evolving. It's, I'm seeing it in real time. Um, I just wanted to kind of echo that, that message. Glad to hear that. All right, so I'm gonna, I wanna ask you guys three more questions uh, before we, we wrap up. So on a high level, the three questions are about build versus buy, utilization, the utilization of technology, and then how do you determine if the rollout of technology is successful or not, right? So let's start with, with build versus buy, because that's been this age-old question that's been you know, circulating through our channel forever, and the answer to build versus buy has morphed you know, through the years, but where are we now, build versus buy? And, and, and you can answer it from the perspective of you know, when you're building a platform at Atria compared to when you did it at Morgan Stanley, perhaps, or even at the you know, program level, when programs are looking at implementing more technology, do they, you know, do they build it themselves or do, do they buy it? Because I, I think the answers are, fa are fairly different. Um, but maybe Eugene, you can kick us off with your views on build versus buy. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess it comes down to a little bit of, um, you build because you think you have some type of secret sauce. There's something in this, kind of build approach um, that's going to differentiate you, um, is going to give you somewhat of a competitive advantage. Um, you also believe that you have the expertise. Uh, you also have a long-term commitment to whatever you build. Um, so when we, when we started Atria, just to kind of give you the a, a, a real life example of it, um, Fundamentally, we believe that the platform, the technology, a lot of things that we've been talking about um, are clear competitive advantages. And we ultimately want to be in charge of our destiny in many of these areas. Um, and we were committed to doing it and building it and making sure that we had the resources and, um, both financially and, and human capital to pull it off. And so 
the way that we set up set up set out is that we don't want to build everything but there are certain things that we do really want to build meaning we really do want to own and they came into three buckets the first was data it was critical for us to have a ownership of the data and and, and when i say ownership i don't mean owning the client data uh, i mean having a repository a framework a data schema and a model that we're able to collect the information that we need to be able to provide to our financial institutions and our advisors um, for their business. And we talked a lot about kind of algorithms and analytics and so forth, but by having and owning that data set and not relying on a third party to do that, we then can start to kind of really think and use our intellectual capital because the software is out there to apply um, that to the data to provide those insights and that information, right? And, and then we believe that's a competitive advantage and that's really how this thing is going to play out in the years to come of how you utilize data. So that was critical for us. The second aspect that was absolutely critical for us was to, to own the client experience. We've been, again, been talking a lot about the experience, but having the ability to design and implement what we needed for our advisors. And this is why we are so focused on doing, um, you know, feedback sessions and beta and pilot, because we know we don't do what our clients do every day of servicing and supporting their clients. Therefore their input in the, and from day one up through ongoing is we need that interaction. We need that information. We needed to also have the control to make the changes on our side in order to ensure that we're meeting their requirements. So owning that experience and bringing it all together has been absolutely essential for, for success and that will stay a competitive advantage for the long term. The third though is, which gets into this kind of this buy versus build a little bit more, is how we designed and architected the platform that was to ensure ease of use of integrating third-party solutions into it. Knowing that we don't want to build a portfolio rebalancing tool. There's a lot of really good portfolio rebalancing tools out there. We need the ability to quickly and easily integrate that into the overall experience into our data warehouses, um, but we don't want to build the business logic to do rebalancing. When we find a solution and that solution, you know, based on our requirements doesn't meet it, we want to be able to swap that out. So this notion of kind of open architecture and how everything was designed was a critical component that we needed to own. And those were kind of the three core fundamental um, pieces of ownership that we, that kind of the, the build aspect of it because we fundamentally believe those are what can give us a competitive advantage in the marketplace. A portfolio rebalancing to, tool or clearing is not a competitive advantage, right? Those are commoditized. What you do with them, that can give you a bit of, you know, a competitive advantage ultimately, um, but them on themselves are, you know, again, they're commoditized out there. So that's how we kind of think about that whole equation of buy versus build. Um, and that there's, there's other aspects of it as well, but that, that's kind of at its core, Scott. Yeah, so, so that begs a question. <laughs> and the question is this, so, you know, I've done a lot of work in the bank and credit union channel over the years, and it's interesting to look at the difference between banks that have their own broker dealer and banks that use third party broker dealers, right? Like, like CFS. Um, so the compelling question based on what you just said is uh, for banks that there are about 40 financial institutions, mostly banks, but a couple of credit unions that have their own broker dealer. Uh, 
And I know that some of them struggle with maintaining their technology platform, especially the ones that built their own. It just doesn't make sense to me anymore. You know, why, why wouldn't a bank want to essentially outsource their platform to somebody like you guys, right? Because you're, I mean, their core competency is not technology, right? It is one of your core, it is your differentiating core competency. Why wouldn't they just say, you know, screw this. I'm tired of maintaining a platform. Let's let somebody else do it. You don't have to be there. I'm assuming you don't have to be their broker dealer for them to outsource their, te- their the technology platform to you guys, right? Isn't that a viable solution? 100%. And we, and we have clients that do exactly that, Scott. Um, that, um, you know, again, their focus and their priority is servicing their members. That's where they need to spend their energy, not building and developing technology and trying to stay ahead of the arms race. And so they utilize us from a platform, from an experience, from a processing standpoint. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful marriage between, between the two. Um, the only way I would counter what you just said is that back to the exact same reasons why we didn't basically buy everything, try to string it together is because we fundamentally believe that technology is a competitive advantage and differentiates us. So if a bank had the same belief, then I would say, go and build it yourself, but understand the commitment and the effort that's involved in that. Uh, We have hundreds of developers, right? Um, You know, on a both outsource and and obviously employees um, dedicated to this, right? This is a core, core fundamental area for our business. And you have to be up for a very long-term commitment of doing this because it's, it's never ending, you know, working with Brandon, working with Ryan, um, it's never ending, right? There's always enhancements. There's always an evolution. There's always more things. So you just have to make sure you're committed to it. Yep. All right. So let me, let me wrap up with uh, a question that's combining the last two things I mentioned, and that is um, technology utilization and, and, and then the success of technology deployments, right? They're, they're completely related, right? So you could have the best technology, but if it's not used, there's no ROI uh, and you're not getting, you're just not getting any benefits. Um, so one, you know, give us, give us your thoughts and I'll throw this out to any one of you that want to answer. Give us your thoughts on um, the evolution of technology util- utilization. How do you increase technology utilization? And then how do you measure in a related way? How do you measure the success of the technology that has been deployed. Who, who wants to start, Brian? Yeah, I'll, I'll leave with that one. I think um, technology utilization or what I'll call engagement and adoption really starts well before the technology even begins the, the development phase. It starts in the design phase. And, and Eugene made a comment about this and, and Ryan and Brandon both alluded to it, but the need for us to collaborate with the users at the design phase by sitting down and doing things like visual design or heuristic studies or other activities in order to really get a sense of how do they consume the data that they need in order to do a certain job is absolutely essential. And so we do things as part of our culture and we invest time and resources to sit down and walk through different concepts, get feedback right related to that experience make adjustments, even little things like this field should be here or the flow of this workflow should go from A to B to C, right? Absolutely essential. And it does a couple of things for us. First, it makes sure that we design something that exceeds the expectations. But second, it creates that same type of relationship 
right? Where we are built that we trust one another, we're in it together as a team to build a really great, uh, great tool, a great capability. As we then get into the development, right? The goal is to come back as quickly as possible to do betas, to do pilots, to get people in there, right? That really want to stress test and frankly break it. Right? Tell us what's working, tell us what's not. Like let us collaborate even further with you looking at a system with your data, but not at a loss of the thing that you're currently using to run your business. It's off to the side at that moment, right? It's available to you, but you're not being disrupted when it comes to how you're currently managing your business. It then leads into this next phase of let's move from pilots to rollout. Let's think about communication and training and service and all these other components to help the advisor and the sales assistant and the team fully start making the shift to adoption, right? And that takes a lot of effort. It takes a, you know, two a week training sessions. It takes recorded videos that people can watch on their own. It requires us really getting out there and, and, and shaking the trees to identify where problems are so that we can swarm on it and address it. But that cycle, right, it comes, it is absolutely essential to lead into the full utilization of the capabilities across an organization the size of ours, because you have to make sure that it's not just great technology to your point, but frankly, there's a friend, right? There's a friend in there that can help you through it, that listens to your voice, that designs and develops something that's meaningful to you. So at the end of the day, those users are frankly our greatest advocates and they help us get to the next phase uh, of the perpetual development, the arms race that Eugene mentioned to continue to build down that path. Brandon, you had some related thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, for, for me, when it came to utilizing the technology, um, it was it was kind of a, a duh moment, if you will. Um, I'm an inherently lazy person. And I like things quick and I like them easy. And when I first got into the business, paperwork was my worst nightmare. You know, you know doing a, an application for a piece of business back in 2001 used to take me over an hour to fill out the paperwork and then having to redo it a lot of times because my handwriting is terrible. Um, the technology program and the system that, that Brian's team has built allows our team to open a new account in less than 10 minutes. We literally enter the client's information in the contact system in Unio. We click a button that says open account. We tell the system the type of account we're opening, where we're investing the money, and all of the paperwork is bundled and instantly all of the client's data from the contact record is populated in the form. We check a few boxes. We send it out to the client via DocuSign for electronic signature. And depending on how quickly the client signs it, we have it back and uploaded into their file in, in, in literally a few minutes. I've always liked to use the texting for that, for example. You know, Brian's team built texting into our platform. I can prepare the client's paperwork, send it to them, follow up with a text message that says, hey, your paperwork is ready. It's waiting in your inbox. And since people actually check their text messages quicker than they, they would email or listen to a voice message, they, they almost always instantly go into their inbox, open the paperwork, sign it, and it comes right back to me in a few minutes. So we've gone from being able to open a new account in over an hour or days or even weeks, depending on when you could get with a client for a signature, to doing it in 10 or 15 minutes. And when you can see that as an advisor, it's a no brainer on utilizing that tool because advisors want to be able to meet with as many people as they can. 
They want to be able to open as many accounts as they can. And we all, we all have the same time in the day to do that. And so utilizing technology allows us to increase our volume tenfold without increasing the stress and the level of effort that it takes to do that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You have me thinking about uh, the duh factor. And what I mean by that is um, I think the iPhone and, and iPhone apps led the way uh, from an intuitive standpoint, right? It was so easy to use an iPhone and so easy to use most of the apps on an iPhone that, you know, duh, why wouldn't you? There's such a big advantage, right? It used to be the case that advisor technology was much more difficult to use and figure out. The learning curve was much steeper. And the simplicity of the Apple experience has forced all of our hands, especially if you're a technology developer, to make it as intuitive and easy as possible. So the advisor wouldn't, you're, you're, breaking down the resistance, right? The advisor's reaction is, duh, why wouldn't I use it? And I think we've, you know, we, we've gotten to that point fairly well. I mean, I, I've seen the, the, the Unio platform and I, I think you guys did a great job with the user interface and just making it intuitive and easy, but, you know, good for the, the companies like Apple forcing our hand to make it uh, almost a no brainer. So, so related to that, and Brian, I think you have a thought so you can chip in, but related to that, just the, the follow-on question is, how do you tell if the deployment of, of technology is successful? I, um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't add on to a comment that, that Brandon made, right? Which is, I think the process that, that he described of opening a new account in, in 10 minutes, doing the text message, the simplicity of the interface, has so much to do again with sitting with him and Ryan and so many of these other advisors and assistants that were very generous with their time to help us think through that design and how to develop it properly. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and I think back to prior conversations that we had months ago where we talked about, let's make this little adjustment here or how does this error message appear there this way? I mean, those nuanced elements, right? Make all the difference. They save yeah. the time and, and make it easy. And, and to kind of then add on to your question, it's because of all that prep work, that, that collaboration together, that in and of itself is the huge measure of success. But so that by the time it's rolled out, frankly, it's not a surprise. It's not as if they, you walk in on a Monday morning and all of a sudden there's this new system and, and what do I do with it? It is a system that's familiar. It's a system that the, that the advisors and assistants feel a sense of a pride of ownership themselves because they've been working with us to, to implement it and, and deliver it. That to me is one of the great success criteria. Yeah, no, great. Eugene? Yeah, I, I just want to um, just kind of piggyback on the, the conversation with Brian and Brandon. And, and, and we talked a lot about client expectations and certainly as we think about design and the implementation and, and Brandon brought the account opening, it's also always the consideration of the end client, right? Brandon's end client. And what is the experience they want? So we talk about e-signature, the texting, right? It, it, it's not, you know, one of the things that you have to balance out as we design and develop is also, also understanding what the expectation of the end client is and bringing that back to, you know, how does the advisor meet that expectation? So I think a lot of times, and it's just kind of a, a, a little bit of a different lens and, and we certainly have shifted, um, whether we call it Apple, I'd actually argue 
robos probably had even a bigger impact on financial services and the experience they created than anything Apple did, right? Um, and may, you know, so whatever we can argue that point, but point being is that really focused on always thinking about that end client experience and whatever we did, because the industry for very long is very, very much focused on the advisor experience. And it's always been about the advisor. And quite honestly, if you look at a lot of the studies, there's a good disconnect between an advisor and a client expectations. So now that those worlds are melding together, but we really pivoted and, and, and Brandon mentioned about clear one, that's the launch of the new um, client experience and a tremendous amount of collaboration between, you know, the, you know, home office and, and advisors on building that out. But it was really centered on what do we think clients want, right? And going out to clients and getting their feedback and understanding what their expectations are and also the broader expectations of how we interact every day with the Amazons and the Googles and so forth and, and trying to incorporate that in. So I just, you know, I want to make sure that element was really brought out because that's been one of our major pivot points over the that client experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, and I'm not, I, I won't argue with you about robo. I, I think you're right. That, that definitely is a significant contributing factor. All right. So, so let me, let me ask you a wrap up question and um, you can, you can all chip in if you'd like. Um, you know, based on everything we've talked about, based on everything you've seen through the years in developing and, and utilizing technology, and based on what I think is an ever increasing pace at which new technology is being deployed and enhanced, you know, where do we see, where do you guys see things five years from now? What, you know, what are the other major improvements, um, in the industry's technology platforms do you see? Does it involve, you know, AI and different elements of robo? Where, where, where is this all going? Any, any thoughts? Go ahead, Brian. So um, the, the thought I have is it, it's always worth pausing for a moment and thinking that it, it was literally, I think now 12 years ago, that Steve Jobs stood up on a stage in San Francisco and held up the first iPhone. Yeah. It sort of changed, right, to where we are now, where there are more smart devices on the face of the earth than there are people, right? And, and that rate of change, in my mind, is really the best example of, of what we've gone through in the last decade plus. The next five years, right, the next 10 years, there will be more disruption. There will be more technology advancement, whether that's in you know, a machine learning or um, being able to do, um, you know, create bots, and other activities with big data and analytics to make data more meaningful. It's going to lead to more hardware advancements, right? Where people are able to stay even more connected with other smart capabilities like Alexa and others. It's going to lead to more beautiful interfaces, right? A user experience that's even more meaningful and, and, and builds more connectivity. But I, I do think that at the core of it in the next five to 10 years is going to be a professional that is able to continue to build these relationships with a different set of tools. They're gonna to be able to do it faster, but they're gonna arrive at the same meaningful connection in order to succeed in gathering market share. If you can't do that, if you can't like lack, if you don't have the interpersonal skills as a professional and you're unable to adopt these technologies, you're gonna have challenges, right? You really will, you really will. You, the, the challenge, you have to be able to blend it together into that differentiating experience that we've talked about so many times today in order to, to succeed and get the market share for the future. Yep. Well said, Eugene. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think it's going to continue to center around the connection between the advisor and the clients. And what I mean by that is there's going to be a constant stressor on the value proposition of the advisor. What defines them? What differentiates them? What makes them meaningful and quite honestly, indispensable in the relationship with the client? And if we do tie back to Robo a little bit for a second, um, I think it's worthwhile as kind of a, a paradigm, right? And, 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 and what we saw some level of disruption. We've also seen, I think, a little bit where it's ended up, um, which is an interesting spot as well. But really what it was doing was just, it was forcing the, what is an advisor's value proposition? If your value proposition is simply centered on creating an asset allocation, um, that's commoditized, right? At the most basic level because I can do that for free. And there's lots of firms out there that I can go and answer some questions. I can get an asset allocation and, and I can be rebalanced and I can see the reporting. And, and if that's all you can do, then over time, that's going to be, um, it, it is disruptive and it will actually um, cease to exist. And we'll see to Brian, but we'll see technologies being introduced like that more and more. So at least from our perspective, it's always about how are we ensuring that we are building tools and technology and solutions around having the advisor differentiate themselves and, 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 and a clear articulation of what that value proposition is. And something that can't be commoditized and be replaced, and certainly not for the next couple of years, um, of, of what they bring to the table. And I think it really centers around the family as a client, as a concept. And when we talk about the family as a client, we're, we're very used to you, Scott, as my client, but then we see the results. If I only have the relationship with you, what happens when you pass? What happens to your, your you know, the children? You know, we need to look at this much more holistically from grandparent, great-grandparent down to great-grandchild and everything in, in between. And the solution sets that we bring to the table as a result of that are going to be very different than what we have today. The only way that you can provide that level of advice so holistically, again, not just the individual, but the family as a client concept, is you need to really build that underlying infrastructure to be able to support it. So all the conversation about the use of data, the use of various products and solutions to meet that demand is where I think the focus is going to be. Yes, we'll still have the texting and there'll be something else and there'll be widgets and widgets and widgets, those are commoditized, quite honestly. That's not what the value proposition. You have to, that's, that's, that's entry into the game that you have to have. Texting, you have to have now. If you don't have it, you're losing the game, right? That's clear. If you don't have mobile apps today, you're losing the game right now. Those are tables. This is a different conversation because it really centers around a differentiated experience that a client's going to get from their advisor that you cannot either one, mimic, through technology and two others don't have because they don't have the infrastructure to be able to support that. And I think we're gonna see more of the evolution of the family as client um, model as we go forward. Yeah, interesting. Ryan? Um, I can't even imagine, you know, five years what hardware software may exist. I mean, Brian and Eugene, much closer and they, they can put out ideas what may exist. I think what will, I guess, change or exist 
evolve is probably a better word, is an advisor's expectation on what disruption means. I think, dis I think disruption has this negative connotation now a lot of the times. So that means I'm going to have to relearn how to do something, and that's frustrating. I'm going to have to, you know, figure out a new approach to whatever the thing is. And, and I think that's where guys push back so much on it is they're so used to, this is how I've done it and I've done it very well. But I think as we do more and more quote disrupting, it becomes more common and people get more accepting of it. And they will, I think, because I'm, I'm kind of seeing it now a little bit that advisors are almost expecting disruption because they're seeing that there's value in it. And, and sometimes the value is almost instantaneous to how they run their business or the value is instantaneous to, to the client, like a clear one application, like it, it immediately improves the situation. So I think once advisors make that connection on disruption is actually good, I would like to see more of it, especially if it's a disruption that I can be a part of helping evolve and, and chiming in and making it better. I think that's what I'm going to look forward to seeing change over the next five years using technology. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that you, you mentioned disruption. You can't help but think about robo, right? Which has, has come up several times in the, in, in the last couple of minutes. And the good advisors out there are using robo to their advantage, right? It's, it's, it's taking what I'll call administrative responsibilities off their desks, right? They're, they're combining their personalized service with robo and leveraging it to their advantage. And it's working, it's working very well for them. Right. So uh, interesting. So, uh, Brandon. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I, I have a teenager in my house and uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm losing hair. But, um, you know, one of the things that I, I notice when I observe her and the way that she interacts with her friends, you know, this is the I don't know what you want to call them, the TikTok generation or whatever. You know, they have never not known a world without technology. But the one thing that all of them seem to be starved for is that emotional connection with others. You know, even during the pandemic, when everybody was locked up in our houses, um, texting is great. Social media is great. TikTok, you know, Instagram, whatever they're using. But they really just wanted to get out and see their friends. They want that emotional connection. And I think it's the exact same thing with our clients. You know, as the millennial generation starts to grow up in their careers, the TikTok generation behind them starts to graduate from high school, college, and enter into the, into the business world, the technology is going to continue to improve. But the one thing the technology, I think, will always lack is that emotional connection and the intuition that comes from other human beings. I don't think you'll ever see that really, truly replaced in technology, not in my lifetime. And, and that's what we have to offer. And that's why we've been so successful, I think, in winning so many clients from the robo-advisor world, because they, they work with the robo-advisor for a year or two, and then they start to notice something's missing. And that something is the emotional connection that the technology being what it is, frees us as advisors up to focus the bandwidth we have on making the emotional connection because the rest of it, like Eugene says, is already commoditized. Completely agree. Completely agree. Eugene? Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I can't help myself on this topic either. Um, and, and, and looking at the, the current situation with COVID, 
Um, and this is something we've been saying this for a while about the limitations of technology and you know the, the emotional connection or the lack thereof, right? It brings you to a certain point, but it's not, it doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't meet your human needs. And I think that COVID really kind of exposed it, right? As good as Zooms might be and as good as texting is and all those type of Slack channels and so forth, that need to physically connect, to be able to you know, feel the energy of another person is so fundamental at our core and who we are as, as a species um, that this is, you know, this, this is the bet that we're making that this will just continue, right? People need that interaction. They want that interaction. And the role of advisors, right, plays central to that core um, fundamental aspect of what it means to be a human. So I just, you know, what, what Brandon said is absolutely right on. And it's, and it's what we've been saying. And yes, you can supplement with all the conversation we've had over the last, you know, close to two hours. Um, but at the, at the core of this, it's about two people connecting. Yeah, and that's a good note to wrap it up on. It's uh, technology is awesome, but you need that human element. So uh, listen, I appreciate all of your thoughts and your input. This was, I think, a very engaging discussion. We we hope to have you guys back again. And again, much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, We're going to wrap it up. Until next time. Hi, Bob Mattel again. Scott and I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Stathis Patel Untangling Fintech Podcast Series and hope you found the discussion valuable. Please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to join us for future episodes. And also, don't forget to check out our other podcast series called Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories. In addition, we are excited to announce that we will soon be launching the monthly BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast series. Finally, and most importantly, thank you to Atria Wealth Solutions for their valuable support of this podcast. With a group of incredibly impressive executives and employees nationwide, Atria promotes and participates in conversations that enact change, serving as a guiding voice for the future of wealth management. To learn more about growing the investment program at your bank or credit union, please visit the websites of Atria subsidiaries, CUSO Financial, and Sorrento Pacific. Independent financial professionals seeking a strong broker-dealer partner should visit atriawealth.com. See you next episode. This is for internal use only and not for public distribution. Music